Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. Chad, a great burden has been lifted off of your shoulders. The DC Universe has provided you with a new film to talk about that includes Five Seconds of Glory. So... So, Chad, now that they have relieved this burden off of you, are you willing to praise Walter Armada and all of the fine folks at DC? Okay. So, uh, well, first, goes without saying that we're going to be talking spoilers. So if you don't want spoilers, uh, just go ahead and shut this off right now. Come back after you see uh, the movie we're talking about, which uh, Brian didn't say is Black Adam. But uh, to directly answer your question... According to everything I've heard in the past few days, Walter Hermada has no praise when it comes to this particular thing, because apparently he's been the reason that it hasn't happened for like the past six years. He has been blocking this move, according to Granted, We only have one side of the story, and that side of the story is um, the producer of this movie also happens to be the star of this movie, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, but he said it pretty much anytime he gets a chance that previous leadership did not want this to happen. Um, they blocked it for years. Uh, in the, in the Hollywood reporter article, uh, they say that he went around, he went around said leadership to Abadie and DeLuca and they were, they were for it. They just gave them a deadline when they have it done. And they did. So, Walter Hamada does not deserve any kind of praise for this particular situation. And as an aside, I don't think he deserves all the vitriol he's getting either. But, uh, yeah, he has no nothing with this. And I'm still not going to say what this is until we actually talk about it. And we might as well, like the movie, wait till the very end to talk to talk about that. Indeed. So let's talk in spoilerish detail about The Rock's new movie. Uh, Black Adam. Um, And let me start our conversation this evening by saying this. To all the people who are like, The Rock puts butts in seats. The Rock is awesome. The Rock is mighty. Has a box office power. And to an extent, I would agree, the man is very awesome at self-promotion and promoting whatever thing he's involved in. However, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson's name being on a movie poster guaranteed financial success, then what pre-tell happened to the Hercules. What pre-tale happened to uh, escape to Witch Mountain? What particular thing happened to San Andreas? What particular, ha- what particular thing happened to Rampage? All of these movies are solo Dwayne Johnson action movies with his face on the poster, his name in the marquee, and him doing all the promotion for it. And yet, those movies failed. And this movie succeeds. That doesn't necessarily mean that he is the once in a generation, last of a dying breed movie star that can just open a movie by himself. And like over and over and over again on film Twitter all week, I've heard, well, Dwayne Johnson is box office Viagra. He's, you know, the king of all things. He, you know, he's he's the box office champ. And that reputation is built off of reviving, quote-unquote, the Fast and the Furious franchise and and um, bringing new life into uh, into that. And then the Jumanji stuff, which, again, takes a piss 
on all things Robin Williams. But (laughs) I digress. I disagree with the notion that the Rotten Tomato score doesn't matter. The critic scores don't matter. The audience is just going to show up because Dwayne's in it. And I don't think that that's actually the case. I think that we have adequate box office proof now, data sets that say the movie at least has to be good. And there has to be at least some positive word of mouth for people to go. It's not just because Dwayne said it. Yeah, I think we've had that uh, evidence for a while. Um, I think Hercules will probably be one of the first data points we had about that. Um, And actually for a while, well, to me, and I'm not looking at his IMDb or anything, but to me, like, we can't talk about that, him as a box office draw from a certain period. Like, when he first started till, um, honestly, until, like, Fast and the Furious, I wouldn't even consider that. Once no, fast- the, Rock has, the Rock has two phases to his career. Mm-hmm. Three phases, actually, if you want to get technical about it. There's the Get Shorty-type cameo, silent-type roles that he took early on. And then there's this this turn where he gets he gets his his uh, shot in Mummy Returns, and then he gets the spinoff film The Scorpion King. Then it goes from there. He does adventure films like The Rundown. Um, he does uh, Walking Tall. He does these kind of of action movie things. And then at some point he got some really bad advice, career advice. And his career goes into the kids' movie realm for about mm, five to six years. And slowly but surely, that's where you get things like Escape to Witch Mountain, the, the baby, the not the babysitter, because that's, that's Triple H's movie. Um, the, um, the Tooth Fairy, um, uh-huh. it's where you get uh, the game plan. You get all these kind of kid-friendly Disney Plus type movies. And then when he goes back to WWE, he signs the deal to go on to to fan, to the uh, uh, Fast and the Furious franchise, and then it's just Dwayne from there. Um, it's the guy we know now from that point on. So really, he's in the third act of his career. Yeah, I can see that because I mean, I mean, he is fifty. Let's not forget that he is up there, and I, I can, I can, I can get with that, but. Like he got the reputation, the franchise Viagra reputation for the Fast and the Furious stuff, which at the time seemed warranted. But outside of that, like his biggest box office draw has been uh, the Jumanji movies up until this point. And I don't know if Black Adam will beat Jumanji because Jumanji, I don't know, if, I don't know if it made a billion, but it was close. Um, the, at least the first one was. So. He still like his reputation has ridden off of uh, Fast and the Furious for the the re- revitalization of Fast and the Furious, which was not all him. And I and I see I see why he and Vin would have had beef. But yeah, he's not an automatic draw. Uh, I I know a lot of people say like Tom Cruise is like an automatic, like the last movie star, the automatic draw. And I don't. Like in the way we're talking about it now, like true box office draw, yeah, Top Gun did bonkers, but uh, Tom Cruise got a bunch of movies that he couldn't just because his name was on the poster, they didn't draw either. So I don't if, know if that were true about Tom Cruise, the Dark Universe would still be a thing. Right, right. So I think 
I think The Rock and Tom Cruise are like the last vestiges of a movie star. But even then, you can't just put their name on anything. It has to be attached to something that's either really, 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 really good or or an existing IP that people know and will then join the two and then go out and see. So I think this one, I don't think this will be like Top Gun for The Rock, but I think it will be like that kind of step for him. So Welcome to the Jungle. Um, Welcome to the Jungle did, let's see. Tried very hard to forget about these abominations, but you keep bringing them up. Um, so it opened with thirty six, and it finished with uh, finished with let's see, opened with thirty six, finished with four oh four, and nine hundred sixty two worldwide. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought it was really close to a billion, but didn't make it. What and year it was, was it? On, if- and that's and that's on a ninety million dollar budget. Yeah. What year is it in? 2017. 2017. Okay, so that was a... Uh, yeah, so that that was a Spider-Man year. That would have been Spider-Man Homecoming year. And I think this month, this Jumanji, I'm pretty sure, was the Both highest... Jumanjis were in December. Yeah. Well, but I think both of them were the highest grossing movies for Sony. That the Well, that one. The first one was the highest grossing movie for Sony that year. Because I I remember it being Spider Man and that being like the big deal, like how how much this movie overperformed. So uh, the the uh, the next level is a pre pandemic movie. Its release date was December twenty nineteen. It uh, had a opening of fifty nine million on a hundred twenty five million dollar budget, um, and it finished with three hundred twenty million domestic, eight hundred worldwide. Okay. Yeah, I knew it did less, but those are still about good numbers. About, 100, uh, about 119 less, looked like. But yeah, still good numbers. Yeah, for sure. Just it's his second most profitable franchise, and you know they are talking about making a Jungle Cruise too. So we'll see. Yeah, well, we'll see. So let's get into the film at large, Chad. You know how we do these things. We've been doing it for almost 300 episodes now. Let's talk about first your generalized thoughts, and then we'll get to your good or good or bad and are not so good about this film. So what are your general thoughts on Black Atom? A word, we, a name we don't hear until the very last second. We don't even. Well, yeah, we do hear it. We hear it. And in the mid credit scene, we don't hear it in the body of the of the film, which is fine. Because uh, we've never heard Wonder Woman said Wonder Woman at all through what four movies she's been in. Anyway, my general thoughts on this movie is, um, like I think in another era, this would have been received as like a great movie. Um, you know, like I ragged on Morbius for being from a different era, but being like being of a different era, but being bad like the era it was from, I think this could have been like an an early early aughts. It, it feels it kind of has that feel, but it would have been received as like one of the best things we got in the early aughts. Uh so it's not but it's saying that it's not bad. Uh I still enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it more than most of the DC films I can think of off the top of my head. 
Uh, but it's just not, you know, it's not great. And I think because it's not great, it's not going to be the box office home run that the studio may have been expecting. I think it'll still do very well because there's nothing between this and Black Panther. So it has a month to kind of just sit there and soak up whatever box office comes that way. But, uh, you know, um, I think if you were to put it on, you would like it. If you've seen DC movies before and if you like if you like Aquaman, I think you should like this. I think this movie is better than Aquaman. But if you like Aquaman, you should like this. So here's what I'll say. Um, This felt very much to me like something um, like something Marvel would have made in 2008, 2010. It's this felt very phase one Marvel. It's not the end of something. It's not the middle of something. It is the beginning of something. And it is laying foundational pieces to build upon while not solely depending upon whatever comes next. It is doing some good character work. It's doing some decent exposition work. Um, It's fun. I mean, this is Captain America First Avenger. It's first Thor movie. It's, you know, of that ilk. I mean, those those films don't depend on building to the Avengers. They depend on introducing and getting Thor and Captain America off on the right foot. And Dwayne is all about putting the emphasis on Black Adam's history, his story, his people, because this is a very diverse cast, uh, both yes. in front of both in front of and behind the camera. If if you notice, um, one of the things I've been disappointed with in this uh, press run is that they have not focused on the diversity of the cast and how much it looks like the place it's supposed to be depicting. Um, and I'm also disappointed that the rock, because the rock has to be front man for these kind of things, the you, you couldn't find a person who could tell you who the director is, which is something that's completely different from a Marvel movie where the director and Feige are the two, the two uh, PR leads. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt very much like something that would have really taken off in that, you know, 28 to 2008 to 2012 range. Um, you know, I'm a really big fan of saying that as much as I, I appreciate what Paul V did with answer the call, I've been a very big fan of saying that if you didn't know what Ghostbusters was, or if there had never been a Ghostbusters movie made, that if you made that movie, it would be a big hit and everybody would love it. But because it is created in the world of Ghostbusters in the context of knowing that there are two other movies and you bring in the other dudes by alternate names um, and just make them different people, um, you just open yourself up to more hostility and, and judge being judged as against against that world in that universe. Um, but if if it existed on its own, People would have, I think, taken to it and really loved it. Um, and I think that's the same way I feel here. Like, this movie had come out in 2010, 2008, 2012. A lot of people would have gravitated toward it. People would have thought that DC was on the right path. That they were heading toward doing some really good things. Especially when you pair this with Shazam, which is its sister movie, basically. Um, I think that they had the makings of a really good corner of a universe which, to be fair, is what Marvel was doing in that period of 2008 to 2012, creating a little corner of the universe. So, um, 
yeah, very much feels like the uh, beginning of something, not the middle or the end of anything. And I'm also happy that we got the brief five seconds of Louisiana credit. I did appreciate that. Uh, they, I'll say this for them. They, they find a way to uh, reference Louisiana in a whole bunch of these DC films. Uh, granted, um, you know, a couple of them is because the prison is in Louisiana. So, yeah, you know, Bell Rave is is in New Orleans or in the Lower Ninth Ward or wherever they depict so, it as the, yeah. in Bayou St. John or wherever. Um, but yeah, it's not. It was nice to get that little five seconds of oh, Hawkman has an estate in Louisiana. Nice, right? What are the nicer estates in Louisiana? But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's that was part of my problem with it is it didn't have a plantation era style design to it. It was very much similar to the kinds of mansions you see in the X-Men movies. Right. Um, you know, and that, that was kind of a, a, a downside well, to me, but you know, at least well, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier got it right. Well, because it's Hawkman's estate and he seems to be like, you know, cutting edge and has all this kind of money. There's no way he's living in the plantation style house, even if he's in Louisiana because Hawkman is black and as a fellow black man, let me tell you, if I got the money, like if I got the money to live late, I am not living in the plantation style house. Just not happening. So that one didn't bother me. Indeed. Um, so let's dive in, Chad. Let's start with your good. What was the good for you in this film? So the good is um, so basically with these movies, like. The reason I like comics and the reason I like comic book movies, I like the characters. If I like the characters, then chances are, even if your movie is crap, I'll at least, you know, let you slide because you gave me the characters and you present them in a way that was pleasant to me. So I can say for almost all of the super people, the cast is great. I, they, they embodied their characters. They were enjoyable as these characters. I like spending time with these characters. And I, and again, if you do that, I think you score a major win. So like, even though, you know, people imagine, think of the rock as this charismatic, boisterous kind of guy. And black Adam is like, he's supposed to, ha- he has some of that, but he's supposed to be more stoic and serious. So he, he's got to dial it back. So, you're leaning on a you're leaning on the rock in a movie and not having him be the rock. That's a that's the thing that you're that's a, a a decision you make, but that's what you make when you decide to be Black Adam. And it works because Black Adam is not like the rock in that way. So embodying the character that way, while a risk, it pays off because he's supposed to be the stoic badass and he kind of is. Uh, of the cast, I really loved uh, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan is great in everything he's in, but uh, it was a a great choice to have him as Fate, Doctor Fate. I can't say enough about the design of Doctor Fate. Every time he was on screen, all decked out, I just couldn't stop like awing at how that costume looked because. I mean, there's a lot of ways that can go wrong, but they got it to look so, so good on screen. And and that's that's kind of, that's part of the battle, making it look 
making that look good. And they did. And Pierce Brosnan seemed to be having a great time as uh, Dr. Fate. So that was that was really good. Um, Eldest Hodge as Hawkman. I am not generally like I don't have anything against Hawkman. He's not like Morbius, who I hate. I actually I guess I'm just like indifferent on Hawkman. But I like Eldest Hodge. I like his portrayal here. And I I'm eagerly awaiting more Hawkman. Like, if there's nothing else this movie did, um, I guess second on the list of things it, it probably third on the list of things it did was make me excited to see the Justice Society and more things led by this Hawkman. I I really liked his performance as Hawkman. Um Cyclone and Adam Smasher, Adam Smasher were were great as the new kind of coming up kids. I don't have a whole bunch to say on that, except that um uh if if you didn't know, the kid that plays Adam Smasher, Adam Smasher, in the latest scrap version of Masters of the Universe, that was your He-Man. And that's what I kept thinking when I seen saw him on screen. I'm like, they picked him for He-Man? Because I don't mind him as Adam Smasher, but he like he reminded he reminded me of a more friendly version of uh Daniel LaRusso in the first Karate Kid. He he, he that's what he kind of screamed out to me. And I'm like, that guy would have been He-Man. But you know, he works for Adam Smasher. I just wanted to point that out because it was every time he's on screen, that was what I immediately thought. And honorable mention goes to uh the Fonz was in this movie, and I was really, really happy to see Henry Wrinkler in this movie for all the five seconds. And I thought about it for like a good 10 minutes after he showed up. So I just wanted to make sure I said he was in this movie before we went any further. But I, so that that's that should encompass most of my good. So I agree with a lot of that. Um, first of all, the Henry Winkler thing. Um, he is in a whole lot of stuff. The last thing I saw him in was the uh, Monsters at Work TV show where uh, where he played the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's had a great Twitter account where, he, you know, he, he he's very active and he inter- in, uh, interacts with fans and posts pictures of him fly fishing in a stream catching wild salmon. Um, but, you know, dudes in Barry. Right now, um, the man continues to be just an astonishing force, um, acting-wise, even at this point in time in his life and his career. Um, even randomly posted some pictures from Ron Howard's wedding back in the day, this the, a couple of weeks ago. I missed where that. They, yeah, and it was all like, you know, it was them all in their 70s, you know, uh, happy days attire. Look, <laughs> uh, so it was very weird. But um, Emily, Henry went. Henry Winkler is a good actor and a fun dude, and I'm glad that he appeared in a, in a role that I would be somewhat analogous to um, our boy from uh, Saturday Night Live, Garrett Morris, uh, showing up in the first Ant-Man movie mm. and people being like, why is Garrett Morris there? And then you get the, the details about the SNL skit and Ant-Man. Yeah. Um, by the way, that whole, um, that whole uh, first generation that first uh, not ready for primetime players is now 50 years old. Yep. They're all in there. It's been 50 years and they're all in at least their seventies. It's very, very weird. Um, and that includes uh, Al Franken, who was, who was very much a player in that with his uh, commute partner at the time. Um, but I really love that, 
that cameo, and I love the end, the end reference there, and I, I love that whole bit about it being a vintage suit. Um, <laughs> I liked, uh, I liked the chemistry between Adam Smasher and uh, and this and the other girl. I thought that they really had some good repertoire, um, some good balance. Um, they were victims of some of the uh, what I call the um, dialogue rush. Where it's like we need to explain how all these people, where all these people came from, and what they're doing in a really quick hurry. So here's here's a quick five minute snippet. What would be a ninety minute movie? We're gonna distill down to, you know, two lines of dialogue. You know, she does that with the whole yeah. Uh, I was kidnapped by an evil doctor and experimented on and got my powers. But it's cool though. Um, totally over that. Um, you know, so that kind of of thing. But they're really fun together, and I think thought their powers. Their power sets were really well, you know, defined and shown in the film. It wasn't just haphazardly done. Um, so I really liked that aspect of it. Hawkman's a dick, just a straight dick, and and being played up against type against the Rock is is when you're a dick is fun. Um, so I I like that that dynamic. Um, probably though the thing that I love the most about this this movie is um the geopolitical the geopolitical questions that it raises um because ultimately you're talking about in a way you know we we talked when loki uh loki season finale went off the air and we had that conversation with jim and i was just like that was a great 20 minute monologue about the war in iraq and it's like it's not meant to be that way but like you're having a literal conversation about should we depose this dictator or should we not and if we depose this dictator, what happens and what takes its place? And how much control do we have over that? And, and it's a great conversation about uh, regime change and all those kind of geopolitical things. And here in, in Black Adam, it's about oppressed people. And an oppressed people that are constantly seeking and searching for... Um, constantly seeking it seeking and searching for their deliverer or their um liberator and the the champion is supposed to be their liberator and they keep looking for him in a messiah a messianic type way uh, or a, a mosaic type way and when she has that when when the lead actress and i forget her character name right now but like um when she gives that monologue there to Hawkman and um, Dr. Fate about, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. This dude's come here. He's been helping us kill bad guys. He's been helping us free ourselves from this oppression. Where were you when all this was going on? You guys didn't fly down here. There was no Justice League. There was no Justice League. There was no Justice Society. No one came to help us. We cried out. No one heard. We were just allowed to continue to suffer and be oppressed. And now you want to take away the one person who's trying to help us secure our freedom. And, you know, that was, I thought, a very powerful statement because it talked to me, spoke to me about the role of the role of other authorities, such as countries. Um, We get we get this phrase tossed around a lot about being the world's police. And 
that that is rooted in the idea of American interventionalism. Stuff like what we did in Iraq, stuff like what we did in Iran, stuff like we've done in Bosnia, stuff like what we did in South America, stuff like what we the dictators that we've propped up, the dictators that we've taken down, the cries of people begging for democracy that we've we've got let go unheeded because it just wasn't convenient enough for us to go and fix those situations. Um and the conversation about whether America should be all things to all people or if America should just close its borders off and, and just not care about what's going on in the world and just just stick to what's here happening here at home. And so to hear in that monologue or say, we were oppressed, we were afflicted, and you 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 did nothing. You had the power, you claim you want to do good things, yet you've allowed us to stay oppressed. And and I thought that that was a great commentary on with great power comes great responsibility. And, uh, you know, that was that was something I really enjoyed. And her performance as a whole was something I really enjoyed. Uh, in general, I enjoyed her, but uh, I think she's going to pop up a little bit later for me. Yeah. Uh so let's talk about our not so good from this film, and I'll start here on this one. Um, my not so good was there were some, for lack of a better term, there were some shot selections that bothered me. Some places where the camera lingers for for a moment or two, a beat or two longer than it needs to. Um, and it's not like the Garrett Morris thing where it's like, we're going to linger here so you realize this is Garrett Morris. Like, there are certain places along the way in the film where you're just, the camera kind of feels like it's stagnant for no reason, and it's not really helping things. Uh, The other thing that would be not so good for this particular film would be, there's too many twists. Um, Like, like you get the one big evil, evil boss twist, which should be good enough. But to get the the second twist, which we'll get to a little bit later on, I'm sure, uh, it just felt like it was too much to me. Um, and and my other, my last not so good for this particular film um, would be the uh, the way that the city, geographically speaking, is set up. Um, like it's very odd. Um, they don't give you a good sense of the geography of where everything is, and everything just seems to be either in a by a giant mine or by a giant body of water or something. And they they don't really connect the dots on how you get from Antarctica to back to this place within like five minutes. So so yeah, that those those would be my not so good. I know those are ticky tack things, but like that's that's what I was thinking. Well, um, I will agree with you about like the the city geography. It like it's just again I have I haven't been overseas, but it just feels weird that this massive temple and massive statue are like they decide they built like they built the rest of the modern city like right around those instead of like having those on like the periphery and built away from it. But uh, you know, whatever, whatever with that. Um, so my not so good is, is the, the story in general, like the, the things you were, when you talk about the twists, um, I actually, 
I didn't feel like there were too many twists because as soon as as soon as certain elements were introduced, I knew exactly what was going on. Like the the final ba- the final villain as soon as within 5 minutes of meeting uh of, of figuring out what they're trying to get out the temple, I knew exactly who the final villain was. Uh, I didn't know the mechanisms he was going to use to become the final villain. I guess that that is kind of a twist, but then that would be like you count that separately. That's like three. Uh, the the twist with um, who the real champion was. I already knew that. I I, I knew that. Yeah, there was there was reason that again when you talk about lingering shots, there's a re- that was one shot I thought that they would linger on that they didn't, where you deliberately don't see and get obscured the father's face. Right. So like, and see, and that, and they don't, and they, and they do the, the flashback across the entire film pretty right. much. So that, that also is kind of a not so good. Cause it's like, can we not just get all of our information in one sitting, please? But that, but they did it that way because they wanted to do the little, the little twist turn. Like when the, the father was obscured the first time I knew, I mean, we, we know it's, uh, we know it's black Adam, but I figured they obscured him because we know it's Black Adam, but let's not waste all this time with non-Black Adam powered up rock. Let's uh, let's cut the corners where we can, where we don't have to show his face, but you know it's him. So I kind of took it as that. But yeah, then, but they they could have they could have cleaned up like those flashback things because I mean the movie starts with the flashback. It's telling you the whole. It's basically telling you the whole story of Black Adam, but then we keep going back to it. We keep going back to it, and I know why. And I can't think of a better way off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure you could have told that story in a better way. The story just. I mean, the story. The story in this in this movie to me, the story is like ketchup, and and the characters like French fries. The story. Uh, the 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 story, well, actually no, the story of the French fries, the characters of the ketchup, they are just the vessel to get the ketchup. It is it's not so much about the French fries themselves; it's the vessel to get the ketchup. So the characters are the 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 story is the vessel to get you these characters, and it's just going to do it in the without with the minimal as as least effort as they can put into it. That's what the story is. And, you know, that's fine. You can do that. But I think that's why you get the movie like it is. It's it's fine. The story doesn't do anything to elevate the characters. And it doesn't not to say that every movie has to not every movie has to be some like uh, well written. Well, it should be well written, but it doesn't have to be like a um, cinematic masterpiece every time. But, you know, this story, I think, I think if, uh, and I'm pretty sure I heard somebody say this, and as I'm running through these thoughts, it's kind of clicking to me. If this script, if this story, had had like a few more pass-bys, if it was rewritten like one or two more times, the movie is probably that much better. Uh, it wouldn't be like rotten on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It'd probably be in the 60s, 70s range. Just just with like one rewrite. 
just to clean some stuff up. So, yeah, that that's that's my the the story is like my not so good. It's it's there, it functions, but it could have been better, and um, and but it serves it serves the characters enough that you still come away liking them and wanting to see more of them. But now I want to see more of them in a better story. Um, which is the, the story of the Snyderverse. I'd like to see more of these characters, please. Just not in, with this story group. Um, that, that's like a whole different frustration. Like this one is like, I don't like, it's a bare bones story. And if you rewrote it, you probably, you probably elevate it a little bit with the, particularly with Man of Steel. Like you don't even have to rewrite it. If you just like change, you change like a few words in this scene and the director does two seconds worth of uh, changes in action in this scene. And I think that movie is drastically different. So it, yeah, it's, with, with no, with no let the kids die and no breaking of Zod's neck. I think, I think we're all good. Uh, you know, but it's not, even, well, I don't, I don't, we're, I'm not going to uh, relitigate Man of Steel, but I don't think, I think you could have left Zai's neck getting snapped if you changed a, a couple other things right before it. But we're not, we're not getting into that today. So, my, like, I get what you're saying about the story. I love, I really enjoyed the story um, to the extent that I talked about with the geopolitical nature of it. I also liked the almost Shazam like, a mad childlike imagination of the little boy who is meant to marry the rock's child. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and bring the spark and being this hope for people and people around him. Um, I really like that aspect of things. I like the fact that the mother is very both protective of her son, but also willing to put herself at risk. Um, and to be honest that she has a very Indiana Jones, like, feel to her and I know that's going to rub some some dude bros the wrong way but like I have a feeling whatever we're going to get from Phoebe Weller-Bridge in uh, Indy 5 is going to be something similar um, you know she she's take charge she doesn't take sh- any crap she is constantly there like she's in the thick of it she's not shying away um, and she knows what she's talking about and she makes tough choices and those are all strong, empowering characteristics that I like about the way that they depicted her character. Um, so that that part of it works for me. Um, where it falls apart, falls short for me, is this whole we need to imprison Black Adam thing. We need to imprison Black Adam. We need to imprison Black Adam. And then you imprison Black Adam, and then you have an entirely different movie after that. Um, so... Like that, like Hawkman just stubbornly being like, I do not care what this man tells me. I do not care how many mercenaries this dude kills. I am just going to continue to assume that he is here to destroy us all and throw him in a prison. And it's just kind of like, really, bro? You can't like let act like seriously. These people have been oppressing these other people for a very long time. And you're the one picking them up and letting them not hit the ocean because you think that this dude's the bad dude. Come on now. So, so I, I think Hawkman's motivate. I don't think is is strictly that. I think Hawkman's motivation is supposed to be that he knows 
that when the city, when Black Adam was first around and the city was leveled, it was because of him. Because he got so pissed off and he couldn't control it, he like destroyed the city unintentionally. And while he is annoyed that Black Adam keeps killing people, his whole thing about capturing him is like, it's supposed to be, I don't trust you to not rage out and inadvertently kill all these people. And that's why. And, and then he, in the end, it's like, please rage out and kill all these people. Oh, no, at the end, it's rage out, but you can control it. You haven't tried to control it yet. How about you try that thing and not kill us all? Just fair. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I get it. It's, again, like all these characters, a better movie would have served everybody better. And, like, uh, you know, maybe some better CGI in certain spots. It, that didn't bother me. I know there are spots. There There definitely are spots, but... It's not that it's not that many, and it moves fast where it doesn't like really rub me. The By wrong the way, way, why did bald head? Why did bald spot man have to go away and get shot? Like he's the comedic relief character in any good Michael Bay film. Like why? Why do we have to shoot that dude and send him away for like half the film? Because that's when the the movie got serious, and we needed to not focus on comedy then, and we can. We need to get rid of some of these characters while we're doing this part because he got shot right at the depowering Black Adam stage. So we need to like pair people down to advance the story. All right, Chad. So let's go with our bad, and I will spare you from starting because I will go first. All right. Um, my bad is the fact that we got two separate films in one again. Like another great DC movie that we both know, The Suicide Squad. Uh, Suicide Squad in two, <laughs> 2016, Suicide Squad is two different movies. The movie during the day and the movie when the when night falls. They're two separate movies. Lots of meddling going on between those two separate films. Um, I got one movie from the time that the movie starts to the time that they imprison Hawkman and muzzle him and put him in his little water and his little water container with a whole bunch of other folks who somehow magically didn't escape. And, um, you know, I got one movie and then as soon as, uh, you know, Dr. Fate is like, Oh, Oh wait, you're still alive. That, and I keep my vision still the same that you're going to die. So this is not over. You know, I need to know whether or not this is over or not. No, it's not over. And then whole new movie starts. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, I thought we could have just ended this, but instead we're going to go on for another 45 minutes. Cool beans. Uh, I mean, I I didn't feel it. See, I felt it was a hard end. I felt like it was a hard cut. And you didn't have to go that hard with a cut if you were going to turn around and do the rest of it. No, I agree with you. It is a like that could have been the end of the movie, except for the fact that the movie's called Black Adam and you have depowered and locked up the title star. So I knew it wasn't going to end. So to me, it like from that point on, it does not feel as much of a separate movie as uh, Suicide Squad, the 2016 one that really felt like two completely different things were going on. Um, But 
I don't think they should have done quite the like you're saying the hard like making it the hard out with Black Adam right there. I think you could have found another way. Like you depower him, um, but you don't have to depower him and then ship him off. You can have him depowered, and instead of going to uh, the facility, they can be on their way when all this other stuff happens. So it doesn't feel like we concluded our business with him. It's like we're on our way to conclude business with him. And we get and we have to stop and change course. Uh, but then you don't get the the cameo from from Harcourt uh, from Peacemaker. I, I get wanting to do that. But, you know, again, another but passing you've story. Got the, you've already got the Weller cameo and you have another Weller cameo to come. So it's not like they haven't, you know, um, explained to you, given that that to you, um, the connect the connective tissue to you. I mean, all, I'm all for seeing James Gunn's wife up on screen, but I mean, come on now. <laughs> I think it's just because uh, Peacemaker was such a success. And as the star producer of this movie keeps saying, you know, listen to the fans, listen to the fans. So that's a nice nod for the fans. I think you could have done, gotten her in there in another scene that doesn't like bring the movie to a screeching halt and it's starting it over the way that it does. Um, but is that is that your only bad, or uh, can I just go ahead and jump into my? I mean, my other uh, my other bad for this film um, would be some of the music choices. I thought that uh, while the film doesn't have very many needle drops, I felt like the score and the way the movie was, uh, the, the way the, the film uses music wasn't great. It didn't have that, um, you know, that how do I say this? That action adventure, big bombastic, you know, period piece Egyptian thing that, you know, that Cecil B. DeMille type, big bombastic Egyptian epic type thing, that it didn't have that action adventure tone to it the way that John Adams' score, uh, John Adams, John Williams' <laughs> score for uh, for Raiders does. I mean, it just I was missing that kind of thing, and if you weren't going to do that kind of a thing. I'm also missing like the Black Sabbath Iron Man needle drop that like like links that links like character and, and song in a, in your head in a way. I mean, um, you you didn't like that Man in Black uh, needle drop that just kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, but that's sort of the thing. It kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't like set up or anything. You know, it was just kind of there. Right, and yeah. Um... I didn't that is like, a stupid catchphrase joke that just kept running. Uh, I got I kind of got over that. I, I understood what they were doing with that. Uh, the score is like is weird to me because there are parts of the score that I really like and I think could have been like a truly good score. But then right next to that is some weird crap that I wouldn't have done as part of the score. But overall, I think I, I think I need to listen to the score again to decide if I. I like it or not, but it, it's uh, it stood out enough for me to like mentally take notes to like I kind of like this part, uh, so it has that going for it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're gonna do the swords and sandals like action adventure epic, you need that that there needs to be an element of the heroic and bombastic in your score, and even even when Thor and Love and Thunder goes to uh goes to Mount Olympus or wherever they go 
in uh, to to meet Zeus um, to the secret hideaway. Um, even that score changes up to the big and the bombastic in that moment to kind of meet what Zeus is. And uh, you know, especially in the resur- in the 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 ere- the the freedom scene where he's released from his captivity for the first time. Like that should be your big bombastic hero moment where he's just taking all these dudes out. And it just doesn't have the score doesn't necessarily have that feel at that moment. At least to me. If I'm I need to go back and listen to it again. I for that moment particularly, I thought it was understated and that was probably a director decision to, you know, leave you with just the accident the action and like the the like kind of absence of sound or music. Because right after that, when they go outside, is when that damn Man in Black song started. And maybe it was so jarring to me because there was no other music until that moment. And you just jump straight into that instead of like easing it into something else. But I need to listen to the score again before I uh, like, yeah or nay it. Yeah, we, uh, we're nerds. Uh, <laughs> so you, you're so Chad, what were, what were your bad for this movie? What was your bad? All right, so um, the the lady lead. I need to. I know. I, I'm pretty sure her name is Sarah in real life. I should have looked this up before right now. But uh, pretty sure she it? had the same last last name as the director. I thought, but it's not. Um, well, I think she. So I think she's going to be. She is. Uh, her name is. Ah, uh, Adriana Tomas, and yeah, that's the character's name. Um, and looking at this, they picked this character specifically because this character becomes Black Adam's wife in the comics, and, and son, is and is his wife in the flashback. Uh, yes, he, she is the wife in the flashback. Yes, um, and her son is Black Adam's son, uh, Osiris, in, in the comic. So we'll probably keep, if we have more of these movies, we'll probably see them get the, uh, the powers as well. But I liked her from Jump. Um, but she gets saddled, and a lot of them do, but she gets saddled with like a lot of the, the worst dialogue. Like, the sentiment she's trying to say are good, but this the the way they have her saying them or the words that she's saying kind of suck. And it happened to her, and it happened to the kid that's her son, um, who I didn't mind in the beginning. He the kid is actually when I said it, this is like an early arts kind of movie. The kid is mostly why I'm saying that because it felt like uh, those times those we'd have those kind of superhero movies. And the superhero has a kid that's not a that's not like a costume sidekick, but is a sidekick that taps uh, into the kid, the kid from Iron Man three or um, Shia well, LaBeouf he, and the original Transformers. They well, the kid in Iron Man three served a different purpose. Like he's not a true sidekick; he's actually helping Tony do stuff. Shia LaBeouf, the Transformers stuff, that's just completely different. We needed humans in it. We gave you kid humans, but like. Uh, uh, this is not a comic book movie, but Last Action Hero. 
the the kid in that, I mean, he's making fun of kids in this position, and that's what this kid is. So I don't necessarily have a problem with the trope itself. And the kid was fine in the beginning, but as the movie went on, he uh, I started liking him less and less. And by the time we get to the whole put your hands up scene, I'm like, I'm kind of done with him. Like, put him to the side. And it's and it's no like affront to the actor or anything. It was just like the positions they were putting that kid in. I didn't find them believable, but I knew they were doing it because it was to invoke the feeling of Black Adam's son. And he's this is where he's because of this kid, he's going to make the turn from the straight up vengeance rager to a protector and champion that is looked at looked upon heroically if not a hero i just i think the stuff they had them saying and doing towards especially towards the end they're they're filling in like information gaps and then making them these you know story symbols to get us to from point a to point b and i don't think they gave them enough or the good the best things to actually make that transition happen like that scene where he's rallying the troops really, 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 really annoyed me. I, and I hate it for the kid, but it, it, it got on my damn nerves. And I was I was like, OK, we don't need to me. I get why you're doing it. I don't need any of this part. Like the the demons from hell that the regular people are fighting. I ain't need any of that. Just go straight up to Black Adam fighting the devil and killing the devil. I don't need the rest of this crap. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. Um, I kind of just buy in because I'm all in for his. He shares his mom's passion and his mom's desire for freedom for the people. And he sees his friends and his neighbors being oppressed and he wants them to be free. And that's why he gets excited when Black Adam turns up in his bedroom, because it's like, oh, wait, we now have the muscle like, you know. We 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 are we've been the weak we've been the oppressor we, we we've been the oppressed we've been the weaker now we have the strong we have the might behind us and we are right and so now that with the might we can make right um, is the geopolitical references and dialogue done perfectly no but it's also not done as ham-fistedly as some others um, so I just kind of bought into his enthusiasm into his exuberance and his his boyish naivety, whereas she is just more like, eh, I'm going to do whatever I need to do because uh, I just want to keep my son safe. Like, I know, like, like they settle her with some bad choices, man. Right, right, like, right. Like some bad choices. And, you know, she starts off the movie in this place. Yeah, she's like this freedom fighter kind of person. But when we first meet her, like one of the first things that comes out of her mouth is she doesn't want her son learning violence. She violence is not the answer. She does not want that. At the end of this movie, she is saying this dude here that's been murdering people all the time is inspiring these people. And this is what we need. When she literally told that same dude, don't teach my son violence like that. I mean, you're, you're well, normally I mean, when the devil shows up and you need somebody to split him in half. I mean, you're kind of like, yeah, do a little violence. 
But when you do these arcs in these movies, you normally start off at the place where violence and vengeance is what motivates you. And you learn that, okay, I can do these things and not be so violent and vengeful. Where And where she starts off, it's like, we're going right back. We're doing the reverse. And it doesn't, it doesn't jive. And, but there's a way you can get her from where she started to where she ends and doesn't, don't make her a contradiction. And, I th- I, and through her words and through her actions, I think she became a contradiction. And that's solely on the writers. The writers. Of which there are four or five. So, that seems so right. there's a, this, that is a thing. Um, any other bads, Chad? Uh, that was that was the thing that was bothering me the most. Yeah, I mean, if I had to say something else, I would probably just say that, like, I, I really thought the whole thing with the underwater base was completely unnecessary. Um, I didn't need that, and I'm with you also. I didn't need the townspeople fighting the demons from hell. Um, no. but 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 that's just you know the stuff that you do when you're trying to 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 have your action in two different places. Um so um what did you make of um Fate's self-sacrifice? Um because I thought it was noble and I thought that they did 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 justice and did it did him the right way. I would agree. Uh I it's so it's so weird with these characters because he spends the whole movie telling you I can see the future and he sees everybody's future and where they end. So it's like, why do we have to go through it's, He's It's not like Dr. Strange where Dr. Strange is like, okay, I saw the future. I can't tell y'all anything or it won't happen. Now nah, fate's telling people their fate through the whole movie. He's like, don't mess with electricity. Don't, don't, uh, you're going to die in doing this through the whole movie. So if you can, if you can do that and influence what people do, then it, it it almost feels like cheat where you can be where you've written yourself into this point where well if he just tells everybody what he saw they can make sure it doesn't happen so that was my that was my like only qualm with that the actual act and how he did it uh, I thought it was I thought it was fine I thought it was great I thought it was part of one of the best parts of uh, Brosnan's performance as Fate. Cause, I mean, he is because he is fighting the demon, but at the same time, he's giving this pep, pep talk to Black Adam, um, to to not only save his friend that that he took his place for, but also to save everybody by giving Black Adam the 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 thoughts that he needs to go ahead out and do what is necessary, and not just what is, you know, his rage talking. I agree, and I just. I, I liked that you got real emotion out of Hawkman as it was happening. And then I thought it helped Hawkman's character as well. Yeah, it, I, I think it did. All right, Chad. So let's talk about that post credit stinger. The one that the internet has been ablaze about for days. Your thoughts, sir, on Amanda Weller showing back up by a hologram being told the black Adam being told that his prison is now his town. And if he sets foot outside of the town, well, she has friends that she can call to take care of that. So your thoughts, sir, on the friend, on the threat, and on the cameo. So in many ways, 
I sat through this movie solely to get to this point. Uh, before I went to see this movie, I actually saw the scene. And I looked at the scene because I just needed, I needed to know for a fact that it actually happened. That's the only reason I watched it early. I was like, I need to see if this is real, see if this is actually happening. Even with that said, when I sat down in the movie theater, I'm like, this is not real until I lay eyes on it on this big ass screen and see it for real. So we, we've all, reached avatar levels, Jed. Right, right, right. Like, I know it's real. I know without a shadow of a doubt it's real, but I still have to see it to make it actually real. And, you know, he floated down and he got to talking and he showed himself. And I'm like, all right, so we here. So what? Like, so immediately, like, I'm like, I need to know what's next. But so that that's immediately where I went. But in the moment, it's like, finally, we're doing something. Not only are we doing something with Superman, we're doing something with an existing Superman that we should have done years ago. And as much as people in that company don't understand and want us to do different things, every granted, I'm on Twitter, so I know I'm in the information silo, but every person that talks about seeing the scene, they all say that people were visibly and audibly excited when they saw Superman walk out, be it because it's Henry Cavill or be it because it's just Superman. We haven't seen Superman on screen since his face was all jacked up. Uh, I saw it at noon. So they were all, they were like, you know, there was, it was actually a decent crowd. It's probably like 40 people in there, but they were all, um, if y'all haven't, if y'all don't go to matinees, especially during the week, most of the people in matinees are older people. So that's no shade on them or anything, but they were just older people. So there wasn't like an audible response, but people did stop. People did look, uh, and people were talking when they stopped, when they were walking out. It was out. a thunderous applause from my 40 last night. See, and that, that, that's what I keep hearing. Again, these are all anecdotal things. This is Twitter. It's not, it's not indicative of everyone. But it should, since this company is so wrapped up around what Twitter thinks anyway, this should tell them that Superman they had all along is one that they can go and do things with. And they should have been doing things with from the start. Just give him better material to work with. So I saw that I was, I was grinning ear to ear. I was really giddy. It's he's in, he's in the regular Snyder suit for you non nerds. It is a little different. Uh, it has the brighter colors. The emblem seems to be the emblem from man of steel and not from Batman versus Superman or justice league. Cause that emblem is smaller. This one is bigger. Uh, but the colors in that emblem are definitely brighter. You can see the red, you can see the gold. Um, they actually gave him, tried to give him like the little Superman swoop and everything. You, you have, we have Superman showing up in a movie again. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, pun intended. I just want to know what they're going to do next. And if they were smart, they would capitalize on this right now and have something in the works for Superman right now to announce on Monday, which because it's 
WBD, they will not because they are terrible at all this. But, um, but yeah, I, I had to see it myself to see that it was real. I got to do that, and I was super excited, and I'm excited for what the future may bring until they do what they always do, which is dash my hopes and make me cry in the corner. Um, so DC does n- is not going to make you sad again for a little while. Um, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm almost positive they'll make me sad again before the week is out. Um, so here's my thing. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter piece basically said this was Dwayne. That Dwayne wanted this, that this is something that Dwayne wants to do. It's something that is steeped in the comic books as far as Superman, Black Adam, and Shazam. Um, and that's a little corner of the universe that they can set up, depending on how well Black Adam does and depending on how well uh, Fury of the Gods turns up, what, in April? June? March, I think. March. It, you know, we saw a trailer for it before the movie, but like... Right. Um, that's the same trailer they've been playing since Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Um, if if those two films are successful, then you have this little corner of the universe set up that he can play in. Now, do you announce Man of Steel two or a new Superman movie starring Aaron Cavill? I would, but I would have done that, you know, in the gap between Justice League and now. <laughs> like the thing is, like with this little corner of the universe, it's still the Snyderverse. The Batman that was shown at the beginning of the film of this film was Affleck. The Wonder Woman that was shown at the beginning of this film was Momoa. The Wonder Woman that was shown at the beginning of this film was Godot. Like, is very clearly those people in that those suits from that timeline. So if you're going to bring in the Superman, you do it the same way you did at the end of Shazam with lunch, the lunchroom scene where you have it's very clearly the Snyder suit. It's very clearly Henry Cavill. I don't see his face, but that's very clearly Henry Cavill. So if you're going to continue this, it has to be in that small little corner, which is Anne and Black Adam. And I, unlike most people, would trust uh, Dwayne and, you know, I would trust Seven Bucks and I would trust Henry Cavill to really take good care of the character and make good character choices going forward. Um, a lot more than I would have ever trusted Zack Snyder, who I think had a fundamental misunderstanding of who the character was. So the only thing about the little corner thing is that um, big money bucks Zaslov really wants Superman on screen. And also in the Hollywood reporter, it says that, um, Abity and and DeLuca, they understand the directive and they want to make Man of Steel 2. They want to have Henry Cavill back. They even went so far as saying that... It was in development. Yeah, they have, they're actively looking for writers and that Charles Roven, who produced the first Man of Steel, is producing this. And has, and has a producing credit on every DC movie since 2012. Yep. Everybody that produced on, on Man of Steel is on all of these going forward. So, with that said, if that's the case, I don't think he can just stay in the box. I think he can live in the Shazam box, but I think he has also has to have his own little box, too. Um, I think that, well, the way, the way DC is running, I think that would be smart right now. Because, I mean, we don't know how 
how interconnected they're in the, they want the universe to be or how they're going to do it going forward. I will tell you that people that follow this stuff way, way more than I do, um, they basically like know when Henry Cavill's in L.A. And they also know when he's shooting scenes for Superman because apparently his hair is not that dark. Anytime they see him in L.A. in these little spots and his hair is dyed black, they're like, he's shooting Superman. And from the time frame in the Hollywood Reporter article, they said this was done in, it was done after Labor Day. I remember back then people were like, Henry Cavill's in L.A. and his hair's jet black. He's shooting for Superman. And I'm like, what, what nonsense is this? Are y'all really, are y'all really that deep into it? And lo and behold, he shot for Superman. They've laid out the timeline. It would have matched up to what he was doing. And they since said he's been back in L.A. with his hair dyed black while flash reshoots are going on. So it like, are they redoing a bunch of things to include him more in things and all in preparation of getting him to his solo thing? I don't know. It kind of seems that way. But again, it's also the smart thing to do. And they break my heart with smart things all the time. It'll definitely be interesting to see, um, because I think the next place logically for him to pop up would be Fury of the Gods. and. Mm-hmm. He also, of course, would would most likely need to have a role in the Flash if they're going to do Flashpoint and do the reset and that whole thing. So both of those things would make sense. Right. But uh, DC and DC and Warner Brothers is a bit more concerns with the Flash right now than anything having to do with Shazam or Black Adam. I, I mean, I actually don't think they do if they, you know, uh... dude, dude's facing 40 years in prison, Chad. Yeah. And while and while that headline is coming out. He's in L.A. shooting reshoots for The Flash. They're all in. All this is done. His ass can go to jail. As long as they can get the reshoots they need out of him between now and next year. That movie is happening no matter what. Like, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, it's game. You've told me everything I need to know. It's game over. You are putting that movie out. So, yeah, he can go to jail. Or, Or they can go to jail. Excuse me. But uh, this Flash movie is coming out, and we're going to get rid of his ass right after that. We shall see. All right, Chad. So that'll about do it for this week's episode of the Movies in the Brain podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At The Mets Theory. And our producer is at Grant L. Fletcher. Thank you very much. Have a pleasant evening. <laughs>